It's hard enough for a small group of people to slow down a speeding train full of passengers, let alone two of them heading in opposite directions with all kinds of momentum. I'm Robert Pease, host of The Purple Principle, a podcast about the perils of partisanship. And that has pretty much been the situation in U.S. politics and society over the past few decades. Two trains, meaning two major political parties, heading in opposite directions. But there are committed groups and individuals working to reverse the trend. Opening primaries to independent voters is one of those efforts. But this year, an open primary measure in Florida failed to reach that state's 60% threshold. Ranked choice voting is another method, but a statewide referendum failed in Massachusetts this election. Alaska ballot measure 2 packaged up both of these reforms as well as greater campaign finance transparency, which to many outsiders made it seem like a long shot. But in a close vote recently certified, Alaska Ballot Measure 2 has passed. And once implemented, it stands to slow down those runaway trains of polarization, maybe even position them on more parallel tracks. For some potentially good news then, and some background on our nation's most nonpartisan state, stay tuned for our repodcast of Declaration of Independence Alaska Style. This episode originally aired October 27th, one week before the 2020 election. We can't make this ballot measure about a certain party. We can't make this about a certain politician because it's simply not. That's our featured guest today, Shay Siegert, campaign manager of Alaskans for Better Elections. Its genesis was how are we going to provide the best election system to the Alaska voter? How are we going to provide Alaska voters with the most voice, the most choice, and the most power? And we found that open primaries and ranked choice voting and financial disclosure was that way. Join us on the Purple Principle today as we travel, at least by sound wave, to the great state of Alaska. I'm Robert Pease. And I'm Emily Corsetti. And Alaska is a different kind of state in many ways. It's dependent on ferry transportation, prop planes, and all kinds of snow machines. The economy is more diversified than you might expect, but based largely on mining, fishing, farming, and tourism over a five-month season when days get quite long but also the oil industry. In fact, since 1982, every Alaskan gets an annual check from a fund financed by oil revenues. And its size is different, even on a different scale. You could easily fit the next two largest states, Texas and California, inside of Alaska, and you would still have room for Nevada and New York. But at 730,000, the population of Alaska is about the same as the city of Denver, and that's just the city, not the metro area or of El Paso, Texas. Alaska is different politically too, and the most independent are nonpartisan electorate out of all 50 states. Nearly 57% of Alaskans do not register for one of the two major parties. In fact, only 13% of Alaskans register as Democrats and 24% as Republicans. And the rest choose to register as nonpartisans or are classified as unaffiliated if they designate no choice. That's 57% are nonpartisan or unaffiliated, which might explain why Alaska was the most recent state to have an independent governor, Bill Walker. We talk about the bipartisanship, uh, having a bipartisan administration. We'll have a no-partisan administration. 
You know, we are going to field the best and brightest Alaskans across the state. Our administration is going to look like Alaska in every way possible because partisan politics will not have a place in our administration. Or why Alaska's most famous political quote from the former long-serving U.S. Senator Ted Stevens is distinctly nonpartisan. My motto has been here, to hell with politics. Just do what's right for Alaska. And yes, it's also cold in Alaska, as you might have heard. The average midwinter temperature in Fairbanks, a city in the interior, is a bone-chilling negative 10 degrees Fahrenheit. That's tough for many sports, but perfect for the official state sport of competitive sled dog racing, more commonly called dog mushing. But what makes Alaska so intriguing this year is that nonpartisanship is on the ballot. Alaska Ballot Measure 2 is one of the nation's most ambitious attempts at electoral reform in decades. It calls for the opening up of party primaries, ranked choice voting, and campaign finance transparency in a single ballot initiative. In an earlier episode, Charles Whelan, founder of Unite America, which supports the initiative, describes the polarization that Ballot Measure 2 aims to reverse. Yeah, I think one of the scary things going on here is you've got a lot of different forces at work. Anyone who's been watching TV more than 15 years knows that's new. The rise of television news where you pick your ideology, the rise of social media where not only are you hearing the echo chamber, but think about something like gerrymandering. Now big data allows us to gerrymander better than we used to, which means more safe seats, which means the primaries matter more. They're more expensive races. Who do you get the money from? The people who are the most extreme. Every single force is pushing us apart. But this initiative is not without opposition. And this comes largely from the Republican side, which currently holds the governor's office and the majority in the state Senate. And some of their most creative ads have addressed the complexity of ranked choice voting, where voters rank their top four candidates, but the ultimate winner must receive more than 50% of votes. And remember, there's a lot of fishing in Alaska. Ballot Measure 2 is a direct attack on Alaska elections. Outside billionaires are spending millions to fool you into supporting an election scheme called ranked choice voting, where what you want is not what you get. You order king salmon, you get fish guts. You heard that right. Or maybe it takes guts to push through this kind of electoral reform. We spoke to campaign manager Shay Siegert several times over the past few months about the ballot measure and its prospects. Beginning with a conversation last summer, while birds were still around, and Shea was traveling to campaign events before COVID hit full force. I guess the best place to start would be in 2019 when the initiative started up. I was pretty skeptical of the ballot initiative at that point, but like I said, I was at Thanksgiving, and anytime you leave my family Thanksgiving for a phone call, you best be ready to explain what that phone call was about. And so I came back in and had to explain this thing and actually found out that my dad was a huge supporter of policies like this. And I grew up in a pretty big Catholic family, but politically very, very moderate and kind of always gave like the two sides to the issue for education's sake. And so I explained it to him and he started actually selling me on 
the ballot initiative and saying like, this is a great thing. Like we don't, I don't know much about it, but this sounds great. And so I came around on it. And ever since then, it's been just a, a growing experience. We have a, a policy in front of us that is a first in the country revolutionizing, you know, the way people feel about their votes and the power they hold with their votes. And it's really been pretty amazing to see, to have all of these premonitions about whether or not this can pass and then realize, oh, wow, these things really, really resonate with quite a few people. I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit about, you know, obviously Alaska has this rich history of being politically independent, but what does that mean in terms of this ballot measure? Yeah, so the late Senator Stevens has this amazing, amazing quote that says, to hell with politics. And you hear that a lot. You saw Governor Walker in 2014 run on Alaska First. You know, when you're, when you're the head of a construction crew, you're not going to ask your best worker what party they are before you put them to work. When you are out in the wilderness and you are uh, running into trouble and need to call in a helicopter to come get you out of there, you're not going to ask the pilot what party he is. And so that rings true in our politics. No, that's something we talk about a lot on this podcast, trying to get away from that two-party death spiral. I mean, one really important portion to this ballot initiative is the open primaries portion. I'm a registered nonpartisan, and I came to being a nonpartisan from the right. I was a registered Republican for since I was from 18, and then... In 2016, I decided I needed to become a nonpartisan. And when I go to vote in the Alaska primary system as it stands right now, the state says, I know you chose to not register with either party, but today to vote, you have to pick between the Republican Party ballot or the open party ballot, which is colloquially referred to as the Democratic ballot. However, if someone wins in the Democratic primary, they become on the ballot in the general election, Democratic Party nominee Joe Schmo. And so my candidates are normally petition candidates, and I don't ever get to see them on a ballot unless they want to run in the general as the Democratic Party nominee. And that's a problem. That's our featured guest today, Shay Siegert. He's the campaign manager of Alaskans for Better Elections. They're advocating for passage of Ballot Measure 2, creating a fully open and unified primary where the majority of Alaskan voters can express their preference for candidates of any party. And also ranked choice voting, which only the state of Maine has so far, but it's also on the ballot this year in Florida and Massachusetts. And in Alaska's case, the ballot initiative proposes top four ranked choice voting, and this is for statewide general elections. 
This means that general election voters rank the four candidates in order of preference from one to four. And if the top candidate does not receive 50% of first place votes, then the second place votes from the fourth place candidate are allocated. And possibly the same thing from the third place candidate. And this happens until someone receives 50% or more of the vote. So it's kind of like what large families do when deciding where to have Thanksgiving or a family reunion. Top choices count, but so do compromise locations as well. Ballot question two also calls for campaign finance transparency for donations over $2,000. With so much stalemate all around the country, it might be hard to imagine how such an ambitious initiative even made it onto the ballot. And, in fact, the Alaska Supreme Court had to rule in favor of the ballot measure after a suit was filed against it by the state attorney general. The nonprofit organization Fair Vote has been working to advance ranked choice voting in the U.S. for three decades now, with city-level passage in Oakland, Portland, Maine, and Minneapolis, among other cities. But Fair Vote Outreach Director Scott Seibel is also cautionary about pushback from partisan incumbents of either party. We work with people all across the political spectrum, and we firmly believe that the policy that we push is very nonpartisan. But when people that are very much, you know, Republicans or very much Democrats, you know, sometimes they can be wary of us or, you know, anybody that's saying this is this is a very, you know, nonpartisan policy. So again, the people want it, but politicians end up sometimes pushing against it. Remember, though, Alaska is different with 57% nonpartisan or unaffiliated voters. Which might explain why Alaska's long-serving Senator Lisa Murkowski launched a write-in campaign in 2010 after losing the primary to a Tea Party Republican. And I announce today that I will be a write-in candidate in November for the United States Senate seat that I now hold. We're in this together. And why she went on to win that write-in campaign, the first time in 70 years for a U.S. Senate seat. Tonight, after eight weeks, I think we can say our miracle is here. Our miracle is here. Or why current Senate candidate Al Gross, who declared as independent, is currently running a competitive race versus Republican incumbent Dan Sullivan. I've been an independent since I was 18, except for a very, very brief stint. When Trump won, I became a Democrat briefly. But this state's full of independence, uh, 57 percent. People like to think for themselves up here. Uh, they don't like to be told what to do. Uh, in Alaska, independents are allowed to run in the Democratic primary, which is what I did. And I will caucus with the Democrats, of course. We caught up with Shea again this fall after the ballot measure had gained the endorsement of the most important nonpartisan group in the U.S., both today and for the last hundred years or so. Two days ago, we actually received the full endorsement of the League of Women Voters Alaska chapter. This is quite a big deal, being that the last time ranked choice, any sort of ranked choice voting was put to question in Alaska, that was 2002, the League of Women Voters Alaska chapter actually paired up with the lieutenant governor of the time and wrote the statement of opposition, which showed up on the ballot to voters. And so that was 18 years ago that they wrote the statement of opposition against a ballot measure that tried to institute ranked choice voting in Alaska's elections. And now um, in 2020, 
they have come out in full support and are drafting a statement of support for us. And so this endorsement comes at a, a very crucial time. So now you have their blessing, so to speak, uh, their support. But what do you do tactically with that? We are going to be putting that on mailers. We're going to be putting their logo and the word of endorsement on mailers in our TV ads, in our radio ads, and then also in conversations with folks who are on the fence. And so what we're going to do is share with those people who are on the fence. You know, the League of Women Voters has has come out in support. And time and time again, we normally find that folks look and see the League supporting and say, okay, that decides it for me. So then can you possibly estimate in terms of polling what kind of bump that could give you? It's looking like it could give us about a five-point bump. Right now, we're polling very, very well. Uh, We've been in the upper 60s uh, across six polls since early in 2019. However, now that we have a formal opposition, we have a a well-funded opposition against us, they're going to try and move that needle. Now on ballot measures, it's a lot easier to move that needle because it's a lot easier to tear something down than, than it is to provide a solution. And we're providing a solution and our opponents are coming after us saying, well, this is too confusing. This is going to be bad for Alaska. But yet they never say anything about our policy. They never want to get into a policy conversation. That was our featured guest this episode, campaign manager Shay Seeger, talking about the endorsement of the League of Women Voters for Ballot Measure 2 in Alaska. And remember, Alaska is different. With only 13% registered Democrats, 24% registered Republicans, and 57% nonpartisan or unaffiliated. For example, in 2016, for the first time in decades, the Alaska state legislature flipped from Republican control to a bipartisan coalition of Democrats, independents, and moderate Republicans. But as independent as Alaska may be, change may still not come easy. The nonprofit group Open Primaries has been working to enfranchise independent or nonpartisan voters around the nation for two decades. The group's president, John Updike, knows a thing or two about the benefits of open primaries. Politicians who get elected in open public primary systems are much better elected officials. They actually are incentivized to work with members of the other party to reach across the aisle, to build coalitions with people they disagree with, to focus on governing and passing, you know, good policy. Candidates that get elected in these closed partisan primaries, they have absolutely no incentive to govern to represent their constituents. Their job is to represent the five to 10% of partisan warriors that get them elected every two years in the primary. That's all they care about. It's not because they're evil people or stupid people. It's that's how the election system is set up. But Opdyke also knows that political parties will push back against that loss of control. And he recalls a statewide 2014 referendum in Oregon that pulled well, but went down in a disappointing defeat. Yeah, that was calling it a disappointment is kind of the understatement. It was a crushing defeat and it was a great learning experience. And I say that the biggest takeaway from this is that the biggest thing we learned is that if you're going to take on taking, you know, control of the primaries away from the Democratic and Republican parties, you better be ready for a fight. 
Again, in the case of Alaska ballot measure two, most of the opposition seems to come from the Republican side, which currently holds the governor's office. We asked Shea about some of the tough challenges facing the initiative, including why the Republican Party, with twice as many registered voters as Democrats, opposes the initiative. Yeah, that's an interesting thing. I think they really worry about the fact that they won't have control over the party anymore or over elections anymore. You know, with us going from a closed primary system under the current system, they can really say, you know, we're going to put this number of candidates in and they can play games with the elections. And I don't think they want to release that power. So that's that's obviously fairly strong opposition from the Republican Party. What is the picture on the Democratic side? Um, the Alaska State Democratic Party has not struck a decision on ballot measure two. It's likely that they'll stay neutral on it. And what we're finding is that, you know, if a few Democratic operatives really don't like these reforms. They really don't want to give up the power. But the problem is, is that the Democratic voters just like the Republican voters, really support ballot measure two. We find that when you poll the general masses versus just the the um, party headquarters, that we have a lot more support in the um, general masses. All right, let's turn to ranked choice voting then. We're based in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, right across the bridge from Maine, which is the first state in the country to have ranked choice voting for national office. And there was some confusion on that the first time around. Are you finding that people there readily understand ranked choice voting or does it need a lot of explanation? People understand it after you speak with them. It does have to be explained a little bit more, not in terms of, and it's really important, it's not in terms of how to vote. Every voter in the United States knows how to count to four, as we say. It's really comes down to they want to know. They have a general curiosity about how votes are tabulated and how they work. And you talked about the importance of being able to explain these things. And I would imagine that would be easier to do person to person. So are you able to do that? And if so, how during COVID? Yeah, yeah. We have done two in-person events. We have tried to cut it down as much as possible, and we're not doing any in-person events anymore. And so what COVID's done for for this campaign is I'm, you know, I'm a perpetual optimist. So I look at the opportunities versus the restrictions. And the opportunity is, is this morning at 8 a.m., I was on a radio show in Utkiagvik, Barrow, which is the northernmost point of Alaska. I followed that up by doing a presentation in Juneau to the Juneau Chamber of Commerce and then did a, a radio show in Kenai and Fairbanks. All of these places would have been, I wouldn't have been able to be in all of these places in a single day. It would be like having a meeting in Illinois and then having one in El Paso, Texas, in terms of mileage and how far these places are apart from each other. 
So you had mentioned you've had a number of polls where 60% of respondents have been in favor. Let's talk a bit about the 40% who are not in favor in those polls. Do they tend to be in certain regions or are they a certain age group? What, what are the characteristics of that group? Yeah, it's really interesting. They tend to be, you know, it's kind of rough because 10% of that 40%, as you brought up, 10% of them are just undecided or just simply haven't heard of the issue. The remaining 30%, I would say, you know, they may like one topic that we bring up, but they're not necessarily ready to make this jump from what they know. People have a you know, internal fear of what they don't know. All of us do. That's very true. And there's obviously a lot going on at the national level. You're certainly quite a distance away from Washington, D.C., but does it feel like you're a little closer to Washington during a presidential election year when a Supreme Court justice dies? Or do you feel Alaskans put that aside and can just focus on their ballot measure? I think they focus on it more with everything that's going on in Washington. I was having a conversation with my mother who lives in Boise, Idaho, the other day, and she said, you know, every time I look at the news, I think about your ballot measure and it just makes more and more sense. And what we're seeing in Alaska and when Alaskans look at the news, you know, we, we're very um, dedicated to keeping Alaska being a state where we take care of each other. If someone's you know broken down on the side of the road, then someone's going to stop and ask them if they can change their tire for them or, or help in any way. It's not a state where you drive by and it's not a state where you get out of your car and then ask them, hey, what party are you? And if they say what you want, then you help them out. That's not how it is in Alaska. And so I would say that, you know, in terms of proximity to Washington, D.C., I would say we're, we're a safe distance away. That was Shay Siegert, campaign manager of Alaskans for Better Elections. And Alaskans may well have better, less polarizing elections having passed ballot measure two. That close vote has now been certified, making Alaska the first in the country to have both unified open primaries and ranked choice voting for statewide elections. Of course, there are now court challenges to these measures, and legislatures in other states have walked back voter-driven reforms before. But if implemented and preserved, Ballot Measure 2 could couple those trains together for more effective governance in Alaska and serve as a model for other states as well. We'll be watching these and other aspects of polarization as we approach Season 2 of The Purple Principle early in 2021. In our next episode, We'll take a look at the problem of increasingly inaccurate polling in the U.S. over the past several elections, and really strikingly in 2020, at all levels, national, state, and local. Our guest will be the noted pollster and political scientist, Dr. Brian Schaffner of Tufts University. I think it's not merely a case of what some have called the shy Trump voter syndrome, where people are not willing to admit that they voted for Trump. I mean, that doesn't explain why we're off with Susan Collins in Maine, for example, or why we're we're off in lots of other Senate races. I think it's just that there are some people out there who were just not able to get into our samples in the first place. And it's those people who are very strong Republican supporters that we're not picking up. We hope you'll tune into that, share us on social media, and share your own Purple Tales at purpleprinciple.com. 
This is Robert Pease from the Purple Principle team, Emily Crisetti, co-host and staff reporter, Kevin A. Klein, audio engineer, Emily Holloway, senior research and fact-checking, Johnny Dowling, research associate. Our original music is composed and created by Ryan Adair Rooney. <laughs>